2: This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham. Florida's new governor has wasted no time in putting his stamp on the state. We'll take a look at Governor DeSantis's actions so far, plus other political happenings on today's Reporters' Roundtable. I'm in the studio with William March, political reporter and analyst and a writer for the Tampa Bay Times, and Zach Anderson, political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Thank you both for being here.
0: Hi, Robin. Hey, Robin.
2: Just days after his swearing in, Governor DeSantis announced a $2.5 billion executive order for water projects and Everglades restoration. He fired the entire board of the South Florida Water Management District created a new science officer to deal with environmental concerns and an office to help coastal communities prepare for sea level rise. Plus, he made a historic Supreme Court appointment and an historic pardon. So uh, were you guys worried that um, after the midterm election things were going to get boring? (laughs) I, I think lots of people have been surprised by Governor DeSantis. He has garnered praise from newspapers all over the state, even... William, even the Tampa Bay Times. Do you think he's going to have a honeymoon period?
0: Well, he's obviously he's obviously angling for a honeymoon period, and I'm sure he will get one. I take a little bit of a different point of view on this than some other people do, particularly on his environmental announcements. They've been called bold by some environmentalists, and they are bold compared to anything that's been done for the last couple of decades. But the concrete action to stop pollution from going into Florida water is missing from this plan. He has monitoring. He has a new science officer. He sped up Everglades Reservoir Project that's already been approved. Environmentalists question the value of that project. And he's fired the South Florida Water Management District. But another way to look at this, Robin, is that he is the first governor in decades to be elected without the support of Big Sugar and the Everglades agricultural industry. They heavily supported his opponent in the Republican primary, Adam Putnam. They've also heavily supported Rick Scott, who is DeSantis' primary competitor now for political preeminence in Florida. I think this is, to some extent, on DeSantis's part, a shot across their bow um, that they need to redirect their loyalties and their political money. He hasn't done anything irreversible yet in terms of changing regulations protecting florida water i think he's trying to show them what he can do if he wants to
2: zach so big sugar i think that had something to do with why he fired the board of the south florida water management district
1: yeah big sugar is viewed as having a lot of influence over that board which uh, has a huge responsibility for Everglades restoration. I mean, they really control a lot of what happens down there in creating some of these restoration programs. And it was just viewed, you know, sugar is, is viewed by many as contributing to a lot of the problems in the Everglades through pollution. And uh, they were also viewed as having a lot of control over this water management district board, fairly or unfairly. And so, it was uh, hugely symbolic for DeSantis to go ahead and ask all of them to resign. Not to mention the practical implications of putting new people in there. But it just kind of showed that you know he wants to have a new day, a clean slate here, and to show that he's not going to allow sugar to have influence over this board, which is which is a big deal. That's been a hugely controversial issue in this state for a long time.
2: And I think one specific action that that board took that really made people mad was that they were supposed to set aside some acreage for uh, water restoration, and they went ahead and renewed a sugar company's lease on that land instead. And I think a lot of people felt like that was uh, really a slap in the face,
0: right? And they did it with only twelve hours public notice uh, that it was it wasn't on the previously published agenda for the meeting. Now that was legal, but a lot of people saw it as as subterfuge.
2: So two point five billion dollars. I mean, that's making quite a statement for the environment. I mean, first of all, what? That's an executive order. What is an executive order? And. Does this bypass the legislature? Is this a done deal? How does this, how does this work?
0: Uh, no, it doesn't bypass the legislature, and he couldn't bypass the legislature and appropriate that money on his own. It's, it's a matter of speeding up projects that have already been approved for the most part. He's also established a resiliency office in the government, uh, and this is intended to coordinate efforts to combat sea level rise. But he does this without mentioning climate change or without acknowledging that climate change exists and has human causes. Right.
2: I've heard that as a critique, but he's doing the actions to mitigate sea level rise. He's putting money into it. Um, but people criticize him because he's not, they don't feel like he's said the exact words that they feel like needs to be said. But, Zach, the $2.5 billion, where, where would that come from?
1: Well, the $2.5 billion, he's he's directing state agencies to ask for that money, basically, from the legislature would have to appropriate it through the budget. That would be $1 billion above what the state spent on uh, Everglades projects over the last four years. So it is a big increase in clean water funding, but it, it has to go through the legislature. The legislature would still have to appropriate that money. So it's really almost like a a legislative budget request, in a way. But as uh, Wendy mentioned, you know, the order does other things. He can, there's certain things that he can do just as chief executive, creating the chief science officer, creating some new task force, this one, the resiliency task force to focus on sea level rise. These are concrete steps. Just the idea of a chief science officer is noteworthy. You know, there was. A lot of questions about whether the state was listening to uh, scientists in terms of some of these pollution problems and things like climate change and things like that. So just having a chief science officer in DEP who's coordinating and trying to understand the science behind some of the environmental problems that the state is facing, I think symbolically that's important and it is also a concrete uh, step to sort of reorganize the state and make it more bent towards environmental protection.
2: So DeSantis told the Associated Press, quote, when you have these tough elections, I think it's good to be able to do some things that are not just kind of red versus blue all the time. Zach, did we have any hints that he would be trying to reach across party lines, that he would seem to be making a concerted effort not to be partisan?
1: Well, he he is a very conservative politician. I mean, that's, that's just a fact. He, he was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus in Congress, which is the conservative, the most conservative wing of Congress. He campaigned in the primary to the right of Adam Putnam by emphasizing issues such as immigration. So there's no doubt that he's a conservative. But if you look at the election, you know, he won by just over 30,000 votes. It was the closest governor's race in Florida history and so I mean it makes sense that he wants to reach out across the aisle he barely won election Uh, he's probably going to have a tough re-election fight but beyond that yes we did have some hints that he would be a little bit more bipartisan in some ways because he did emphasize the environment and that is an issue that is really has a lot of bipartisan appeal so you know, it's not just one or the other. He is conservative, but he also has some some issues that could get some bipartisan support. And so I think that he's emphasizing those off the bat, which is probably uh, smart in a state like Florida that is really so narrowly divided along partisan lines.
2: And during the election, William, didn't Big Sugar, wasn't that an issue that kind of set him apart from Adam Putnam?
0: Well, it was. He was uh, Zach pointed out that he emphasized the environment during his campaign. Well, he was free to emphasize the environment because the primary nemesis, Big Sugar, was supporting his opponents. What he's done since taking office, as as Zach said, it, it's it's a good idea for him to at least make a show of bipartisanship. But how much beyond show there is to that, I think, remains to be seen. He has appointed a couple of, of Democrats to high government posts, one as head of, right. of emergency management. Mm-hmm. And he, he issued on his first day, I think, uh, an anti-discrimination executive order. But that order was criticized because it didn't include protection for LGBT people. His most important, probably single most crucial three appointments so far we're all conservative Republicans, including the former House Speaker Richard Corcoran as education chief, who takes a strong conservative approach to to public education. public education advocates would call him an enemy
2: right so governor former Governor Rick Scott made dozens of last-minute appointments, I think they called them midnight appointments, something like that, that really you would have thought would have been left to incoming Governor Ron DeSantis. So uh, William, what's up with that?
0: Well, again, I think what you're seeing is the fact that at this point, Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis are now the two, the two top competitors for position of political preeminence in Florida. Both of them may well have presidential ambitions. So these appointments were just one of a number of things that Scott did on his way out of office that sort of threw down the gauntlet to DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis has responded by saying that he will rescind all those appointments. Some of them he may reappoint on his own. Some of them he may not. A lot of them require Senate confirmation, so they don't take effect until the Senate acts. And if the Senate has enacted, DeSantis can withdraw them.
2: Was there a practical reason for doing that, or was it just kind of rude? Or? Well, in,
0: in some cases, it was a matter of, of Rick Scott rewarding his political supporters. One of the most controversial appointments, for example, was Carlos Baruf on the, on the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission, who has been a strong, ardent supporter of, of Rick Scott. That's one that a lot of people think DeSantis is likely to undo.
2: Right. So he's going to rescind all of those. You said it was, uh, this was one of a number of things that Governor Scott did to kind of throw down the gauntlet. What else?
0: Well, he left the inauguration ceremony early to fly to Washington for his own inauguration. And this, after. That's a
2: pretty good excuse, though.
0: Well, except that he was flying on a private plane, so he didn't have to meet anybody's schedule but his own. In addition to that, he held a huge fundraising ball in Washington uh, that conflicted with, with DeSantis' inaugural celebrations. Many Republicans would have wanted to go to both and couldn't. In addition to that, he scheduled sort of a going away party in the governor's mansion on the night that the DeSantis family moved into the governor's mansion, giving them very little notes. Things like this, just, just some little, some little protocol-type snubs. And then the big thing was, was all those appointments, many of them rewards to Scott's own political supporters.
2: So, Zach, Carlos Baruf, who William uh, mentioned, he's a builder in Bradenton. He's been active in Republican politics. Governor Scott appointed him to the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission. It was controversial, that appointment. Why was that?
1: Well, Carlos Baruf is a developer, and developers are often criticized for, you know, how their developments uh, interact with the environment. And Carlos Baruf has been criticized on a number of fronts in recent years, He proposed a big development in Manatee County along the water there called Aqua by the Bay that really met with a lot of opposition from the local community. Uh, He originally wanted to build a marina and dredge a channel to get to the marina in an area that was considered one of the last unspoiled areas along the bay there. Uh, It would have destroyed some of the mangroves there. And then he revised that. But the revised plan was still criticized by environmental advocates. And really, he had to revise it again to get it through. Uh, the same piece of property consultant for him cut down a tree that had a bald eagle's nest and a local environmental group has complained about that. I mean, he got a permit for it, but there was questions about whether that should have been issued. Uh, so there, there's a number of issues where he's been criticized. On the environment, you have a governor like DeSantis who is portraying himself as a, as a big defender of the environment. This appointment, you know, whether that criticism Baruch is fair or not, you know, to have somebody who's been criticized uh, on the environment on one of the chief boards that's responsible for protecting the environment, the Wildlife Commission, it's responsible for protecting the wildlife and managing it in this state. It just seems potentially to, to conflict with the image that uh, DeSantis is trying to project as a, a defender of the environment.
2: And so that was kind of a reward because Carlos Baruf had been a big supporter and proponent and I guess financial donor to the Republican Party in Florida.
0: Oh yes, major supporter of, of Rick Scott.
2: So another thing that brand new Governor DeSantis did was to fire the Broward County Sheriff, Scott Israel, who a lot of people felt acted incompetently during the Hold Parkland massacre last February. He appointed a new sheriff who was the first black sheriff for that county. Has there been any criticism of that or has that gotten positive reviews? Well
0: Scott Israel is going to oppose being removed and one way that this could play out is a sort of a trial or a deliberation in the state Senate as to whether to confirm DeSantis's removal. And this is pretty likely to set off a pretty pretty tough political controversy. Broward County, of course, is the biggest democratic county in the state, the most heavily democratic county, and and, uh, I think it's the state's most populous county. A lot of people do believe that the, the sheriff's office did not perform well during the shooting. But in addition to that, Israel has probably made himself look a little worse with public relations missteps in his reactions, in his reactions after the event, uh, DeSantis made a very clever political remo- move in appointing uh, a black person, a black law officer, to replace Scott Israel, which will undercut some of the arguments against his removal if those arguments come from Democrats or liberal opponents of DeSantis.
2: A couple other big things that he did. He appointed the first Cuban-American woman to the Supreme Court. He says he's interviewed all the finalists already, and he's going to appoint two more in the next couple of weeks. Zach, that's going to have a big impact on the state Supreme Court.
1: Huge impact. I mean, this is one of the most consequential things that he will do as governor, and it would have happened if any Republican had won. The Supreme Court had been divided. There was a narrow you know, majority that was more liberal-leaning that had frustrated the Republican-controlled legislature for many, many years. And uh, now it's going to go from a a liberal-leaning court on some key issues such as uh, school choice, abortion, other things. Now it's going to go more towards a a very conservative court. And uh, DeSantis gets three Supreme Court picks. He's already picked Two of them. So it's really um, going to uh, change the face of the state Supreme Court in a big, big way and remove any roadblocks probably in the court for conservative policies that come out of the legislature.
2: Yeah. So he has he's appointed. I said one, he has actually appointed two already. So that's happening fast. He's also pardoned a group of four African-American men called the Groveland Four. Mm-hmm.
1: So the Groveland Four is a famous case that was really brought back into the spotlight by a really great book, Devil in the Grove, that came out recently and and won the Pulitzer Prize and really put a lot of attention back on this case of four African-American men who were accused of raping a white woman. I believe it was the 1950s. Uh, when this happened and you know the evidence was really just not there to support this crime. The legislature actually voted unanimously to issue an apology, but the state clemency board, which includes the governor and the cabinet under uh, Rick Scott and the previous cabinet, had not gone forward with this pardon. So for DeSantis to do it as one of the first things and this new cabinet to do it as one of the first things was really a big uh, outreach effort to all the folks who felt like they had been wrong during this period in Florida when there was so much racial injustice. And if you'll remember, DeSantis was sharply criticized during the campaign. He, he said some things and had some affiliations that people thought were racist, and uh, he took a lot of heat over that. And so I, I think this was also potentially him coming out and saying, no, this is not who I am. I want to be uh, fair to individuals. And, uh, you know, I I do believe in trying to do the right thing here. So, uh, you know, it, it also has some personal resonance, I think maybe for him because of the campaign.
2: So let's move on from Governor Ron DeSantis and talk about the Tampa mayor's race. Coming up March 5th is the election. The deadline to enter it is January 18th. It's a crowded field, William. There are nine candidates right now.
0: Uh, It's a little bit crazy. Um, When a mayor's seat comes open, as it it does this year, you expect a crowd of candidates, but I would not have expected this. Part of it is because a lot of people have a sense that they're not really taken really super thrilled by any of the candidates. The front runner almost unquestionably is a former police chief, Jane Castor. The question is whether she will win a majority in the first round of voting or whether the, the number of candidates out there will dilute the vote so much that a runoff is required. Those who aren't in favor of Castor are somewhat at loose ends as to which of the candidates, the other candidates in the crowd, they want to gravitate to.
2: So David Straz is putting a lot of his personal fortune into this, and he's, I think, run some television ads already.
0: Yes, you have David Straz. Then, probably the best known political face after David Straz would be former County Commissioner Ed Taranchik. Then, also a couple of city council members, Mike Suarez and Harry Cohen. These are the ones I think getting the most attention. And then, this past week, another big name jumped into the race, and that is Dick Greco Jr., the son of the former mayor, Dick Greco it's a little tough to predict how much of an influence he'll have on the race. A lot of influence will come simply from the name Dick Greco, who was a very popular mayor who served as mayor on two different occasions.
2: A lot of name recognition there. Right. Zach?
1: Well, the only thing that I would say is that, you know, Tampa is one of the biggest cities in Florida. So the mayor's position in Tampa is a is a big deal. You know, Bob Buckhorn was a well-known figure throughout the state. He was considered, you know, a potential candidate for governor, would have been one of the front runners if he had run. So, being the mayor of Tampa gives you a, a big platform, you know, nationally as well because uh, Florida is such a critical swing state. So, you always have national politicians coming through and and the mayor can meet with them and get exposure through that. So, it's an important role and and one that uh, has implications beyond the city of Tampa.
2: Are any of these candidates Republicans, or is this pretty much strictly uh, a group of Democrats?
0: I think they're all Democrats. A couple of them, Straz and Jane Castor, changed parties to become Democrats before running city politics, of course, is is dominated by Democrats. That's why you don't really see Republicans as likely to jump into this race.
2: What I'm wondering, I guess, is whether national politics would come into play like it did in St. Petersburg.
0: Well, yes, it it has come into play to at least a limited extent. For one thing, David Straz, a former Republican, took a, a public relations hit early in the race when it became known that he had supported Donald Trump for president. He now says he no longer supports Trump and suggests that he's disillusioned with Trump. And we should emphasize that this is a nonpartisan race. The candidates are not allowed to run as members of a party. They're not allowed to proclaim allegiance to any party as they run, and there are limits on what the parties can do to support them. However. The political parties do know who their members are. They know which of these nonpartisan candidates are actually Republicans and Democrats. And they do a lot, whatever they can do, and it's it's a pretty good bit to support the members of their party.
2: So some of the big issues in this for the mayor of Tampa, transportation, affordable housing, what else?
0: Well, all of those. Uh, One of the issues is going to be downtown economic development and whether the city has focused too heavily on downtown under Mayor Bob Buckhorn's tenure or whether there needs to be an increase in higher priority placed on neighborhood development rather than downtown and economic development.
2: Are there any issues that set any of these people apart?
0: Well, they're all... Proclaiming themselves to be in favor of new transportation plans involving some degree of mass transit, increased bicycle and pedestrian safety. The issues are more in terms of what they've done in the past, what their personalities and characters are like, and what they would be like as, as mayor. One of Jane Castor's biggest problems is the controversy that arose while she was police chief over ticketing black kids for bicycle infractions. Castor acknowledges that this was a mistake. It led to charges of racism. She says it was done as a matter of public safety because of crimes being committed in the community. She said that the public sought this kind of increased enforcement. But she still also acknowledges that it it smacked a little too much of racism. Again, Straz's former history as, as a Trump supporter has become an issue. And there are, there are other issues like this that are really the main distinguishing characteristics among the candidates. They don't disagree sharply on a lot of significant issues.
2: Zach, Joe Gruders is the new chairman of the Republican Party of Florida. So tell us about him. He's from Sarasota, right?
1: Yeah, Joe has been the chair of the Sarasota uh, Republican Party for the last uh, 10 years now. And he really came to prominence as an early supporter of Donald Trump. Go figure. When Joe took over the party, he started bringing in big names to come and speak in Sarasota. That's one way that he got the grassroots base kind of fired up, and he brought in people like Ted Cruz and others. Uh, And then he brings in Donald Trump back in 2012 to be the party's statesman of the year, and that's sort of his first connection with Trump. And then he brings in Trump again back in 2015. So he got close with Trump and was able to sort of parlay that into some uh, bigger things. He ran for the state legislature and won a seat in the state House and then won a seat in the state Senate this year. Also was the co-chair of Trump's uh, campaign in Florida in 2016. And so he has a lot of connections both to the House and to the Senate and to the White House. The party has been a little bit fractured for the last few years. The the activist base went against Governor Rick Scott and chose a party chair that wasn't the person that Rick Scott wanted, and Rick Scott stopped raising money for the Republican Party of Florida, which is unusual. Usually the governor is sort of out front for the party, and uh, I think there was a sense going forward with the next chair that they wanted somebody who could bridge some of those divides within the party and try and get everybody on the same team going forward. Uh, It's going to be a tough fight in Florida in 2020. Trump, uh, you know, he only won by about a percentage point in 2016, so he probably needs all the help that he can get. And Gruder seems to be a guy who sort of gets along with everybody.
2: That is Zach Anderson, political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. And we also are speaking with William March, political reporter and analyst, and a writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Thank you both for being here.
0: Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Robin. Nice to be here.
2: And we always appreciate your questions or comments. You can tweet us at Florida Matters or email us at Florida Matters at WUSF.org. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is Craig George. The producer is Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.